In our scripture reading this morning, when I read these last words, the eighth chapter of the 11th verse, as Peter is describing what has happened and explaining why he went into a Gentile's house and why he uh, shared the gospel with them and how they responded. He says, but I said, he's talking to the Lord, by no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. This reminded me throughout all the time that I've been in ministry, nearly every United Methodist Church in the Texas Annual Conference should have a, a big sign up over the door. It's their slogan. And that slogan is, we ain't never done it that way before. <laughs> that seems to be something I have heard from the first time I served in my student appointment. It comes up over, well, we've never done that before. We've never done it that way before. Like there's only one way to do something, and it's your way. And the Lord makes it clear to Peter that his way is a lot more important than Peter's way. Now, let's face it. Up to this point, Peter has been doing the right thing. And many times in churches and in our lives, we rock along and we're doing what we've been taught is the right thing. And that doesn't make it the wrong thing. I'm saying it's the right thing. And the way churches have been doing things many times, it's been the right way up to a certain point. And in your own lives, up to a certain point, yes, you've been doing it the right way. But then all of a sudden, God has something different for you. And in this case, God had something different for Peter. And he prepared Peter for this, and he prepared Cornelius for this moment that we've talked about the last couple of weeks that I was here. And I want to continue just looking at this because as you look at what happened between Peter and Cornelius and how God orchestrated this and brought it together, you see how God works. And it's amazing if you may not realize it, but God is working in your life every day. He is working around you every day. And in this particular situation, if you'll recall, Peter receives this vision. The sheet is lowered and it's taken up three times full of all of these unclean things that good little Jewish boys don't even touch, let alone eat. And he says, arise, Peter, take and eat. And that's whenever Peter says, I've never done this. This isn't something that good guys do. And then God says, what I've made clean is clean. And he prepares Peter because if he was preparing Peter, because at the same time that he was preparing Peter, way over in another town, there was a guy named Cornelius who had been drawn to God. He'd been drawn to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he supported uh, the, the Jewish people in that area, in the temple. And 
and he prayed to their God. And all of a sudden, God sends an angel to Cornelius and he tells him, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been an acceptable sacrifice to God. Now, here's what I want you to do. There's a guy over in this other town. I want you to send somebody there. And there's a guy there named Simon Peter. You tell them to bring him here because he has something you need to hear. And so you see he's working on Peter, preparing him over here. And he's working on Cornelius concurrently over here. Peter is beginning to wonder what all this means when there's a knock on his door because Cornelius has in advance sent this messenger to him to invite him to come to his house. And so Peter is ready. And Peter goes, and you know the rest of the story that uh, the uh, Cornelius' entire household received the Holy Spirit in the same way that the disciples had received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Well, this is just the way that God works. And I just, uh, uh, it reminds me of the way that uh, our Sharon and mine's calling into the ministry. There was a point, I grew up in church and uh, was a good little Methodist boy that drifted far, far from God after I got out of school. And, uh, or actually way before I got out of school, let's just face it. And, uh, anyway, but I still kept a semblance and Sharon helped me. She insisted we go to church. And so we went to church every Sunday, even whenever I was beginning to doubt his existence. But God had sown seeds in my heart that kept me denying his existence. And then one day, Sharon informed me that one of these days, the Lord was going to come back and she and the kids were going to go up and meet him in the air. And she left me out of that picture. And I said, well, you just really think you're hot stuff, don't you? You're going to go to heaven and I'm going to hell is what you're saying. And she said just exactly what she should have said, unless you repent. And you know what? She was right. But I didn't take it in the right way. All I heard was that she was thinking she was better than I was. And so my response was, well, I don't ever want you to talk to me about religion again. If you do, I'm going to leave you because I don't want to be married to a religious nut. And if you can't keep quiet about this stuff, then that must be what you are. And she did the right thing. She just got quiet and she didn't say it's not that She didn't speak to me, but she didn't talk to me about the things of God. She just let me be in that area. And so every time I would see her, I would chafe under her her judgmentalism. I just, she thinks she's better than me. She's going to heaven. I'm going to hell. I believe in God. And in the process, it dawned on me, I didn't really know what I believed. And that was the beginning. And so finally, I came to the place where I prayed, God, if you're real, let me know. And he began to reveal himself working all around me. And then we got to the place to where uh, one night he brought a scripture to mind. And the scripture was, unless you become like a little child, 
you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And I thought, what does that mean? And I realized that what he was talking about was I had two children. My children just believed what I told them. I've got a a little two-year-old, almost three-year-old grandson and a 10-year-old grandson living with us now. And they just take what I say. They trust me. They don't think I would really lie to them about anything. They trust me. They take what I tell them and they run with it as if it's so. And I realized that's what the Lord was getting at, was we needed to take what he had already revealed of himself and run with it. I was one of these guys standing back saying, I want to believe. You prove it to me and I'll believe it. And he was saying, take what I've already shown you and walk in it. And it will be revealed as you walk in it. It's kind of like proving a mathematical formula. You work it out. You take the givens and you work it out. Well, so I said, okay. So I guess if I'm really going to know if there really is a God or not, I need to start acting as if this stuff is so. And if it's so, then I'll, it'll, it'll come clear to me. But how do you do that? You know, I mean, you can't just believe and that's something, but I can act as if it's so. So I said, yeah, that's what I, and then immediately another scripture came to mind. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And I thought, okay, now if there really was a Jesus, now wait a minute, I'm going to act as if there really is a Jesus. And he said this, what did he mean? And I saw the cross was the focal point of his life. It was so important that when he got down on his knees and prayed, Father, if there be any way, let this cup pass from me. And obviously, the father made it clear, son, there's no other way. Because he got up from there and he went to the cross to die for you and to die for me. And so I thought, okay, so the cross is important. And Jesus died on the cross. And the church says he died there for our sin. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me that deep down, I'd always really believed in God. I'd always really believed in God. I just didn't want to come to this moment that I was facing right now because I realized the reason why I didn't feel his closeness, his presence, is because my sin separated me from him. And there was nothing that I could do to undo one bit of the pain I'd caused in anybody else's life, one lie I could not make it true, all of that stuff I couldn't undo. And I realized that I was on my way to hell. And you know, you can't really enjoy living if what you're trying to do is keep from dying. And that's where I was at that moment. I was, I was, I realized I was going to spend the rest of my life trying to stay alive because I knew what was waiting for me on the other side and it was not going to be good. So I'd done some bad stuff. I knew must, there must be just a specially bad and hot place in hell for me. But then I thought, now wait a minute, wait a minute. The cross is supposed to have something to do with this very thing. The very thing that I can't do for myself, 
Jesus is supposed to have done for me. Isn't that what the church says? Isn't that what the Bible says? But how does this work? In desperation, I just cried out and said, Jesus, help me. And all of a sudden, there was a presence just right there in the room with me. And I felt loved like I'd never felt loved before. I was loved for just being me. The closest I've come to describe it is the way I would feel when I went to my grandparents' house. You know, grandparents love their kids, their grandkids. Just It's not because of their potential. It's just because they are who they are. And you know, that's how Jesus and how God loves you. Not your potential, not who you might become, but you, the real you, the you he created you to be. That's who he loves. And I, anyway, I was just, he let me know that night that he, yes, he died on the cross for everything I felt he was, uh, that he might be holding against me. And that all I had to do was receive what he had done for me. And that was all it took for me and all it would take for anybody else. He knew we were going to mess up individually. And individually, there was a place there on his cross to pay for each one of those things that we could not undo. He paid the price. And I was just thinking, that's why I said, I'm just so glad to find out that you're real, man. Now, what do you want me to do with my life? And he said, well, you ought to be a preacher. He said, oh, no, man, not that. Preachers are sissies, wimps, guys that can't make it in the real world. You know, I'm a self-made man and yada, yada, yada. And then I realized who I was talking to. And I see, I just went into my, my, my worldly reaction. And I realized that if my creator wanted me to be a preacher, if he created me to be a preacher, then that's what I ought to do. And so I said, if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. I've tried things my way and I wound up in a mess. I'm success in the eyes of the world, but inside, I'm nothing. So I'll try it your way. And so then I thought, now what about my wife? She's not about to live in a parsonage where she has to get permission to paint the walls. She wants stuff that's hers. You know, she wants to be able to do with the walls what she wants to do with them. And, uh, he brought scripture to mind about unless we're willing to leave our family, our friends, our property and everything to follow him, we're not worthy of the kingdom. And that's why I told the Lord, you know, I love her deeply, but I'm going to have to do what you want me to do, whether she comes with me or not. I'm going to put her in your hands and I hope she'll say yes. The next night, we were sitting around, and Sharon was over in the corner. Remember, the last conversation we had about religion was that I was not going to make the cut. And so now then I'm sitting over here in the other corner thinking, okay, how does Joel McMahon, biggest heathen in the world in the eyes of Sharon McMahon, explain to her that the Lord spoke to me last night, and he wants me to be a preacher. This is going to be like some sort of a cruelty joke or something. You know, she's not going to believe this. There's been no opportunity for her to even see any change in my life. And just about that time, 
She was reading her Bible, by the way, and she pointed to Scripture. Joel, you see what it says here? As in the book of James, where it says, you say you believe God is one, you do well. The devils believe also and tremble. And I looked at that and I said, yeah, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking about things like this myself last night. You know, there are people sitting in church pews all over the world that say they believe in God and they're trying to be good and they're hoping they're going to heaven and they're sitting there lost because there are two things missing from their lives that are so important that make all the difference in the world. And that's the cross personally appropriating it for the forgiveness of their sins. And then the lordship of Jesus living the life that he wants them to live. And Sharon looked up and she was crying. And all she could say was, George, you're supposed to be a minister. And all I could do was step back and say, yeah, how did you find out? And just like Cornelius and Peter, God had been preparing us from totally opposite ends of the spectrum to where we could meet and agree that we needed to do what God had for us to do and do it now. The next day, we gave two weeks notice at our offices. Six weeks later, I was sitting in seminary at Perkins School of Theology at SMU working on my master's. You don't wind up getting a uh, uh, getting in graduate school in six weeks, but miraculously, everything had fallen into place. So you see that God was working in both of us separately bringing us to a moment where we were together. And this is the way God works all the time. Uh, on our trip, we prayed, Lord, just help us to see what you have around for us to do. And on the plane, there was a young lady. She happens to be uh, she head up uh, the prayer ministry for Guidepost magazine. And uh, she was a young, beautiful young lady that is just has maintained herself for the Lord. She's waiting for the husband that the Lord has for her. She's also an ordained minister. And we were able to encourage her. And uh, she just needed to feel loved for a while. And uh, needed to be encouraged to share. You know, like I'm podcasting. I explained to her how to podcast. And uh, she was thinking, oh, no, my sermons. I said, if they're good enough, for you to share with your congregation, somebody else can benefit from them too. And encouraged her to share her, uh, her, her sermons. Uh, later on, we wound up sitting in JFK. We were sitting next to a, a nice young man who was from Grenada, who is the, uh, he, he works for the UN. And whenever he was young, it turns out as we were sharing, he wound up being called into the ministry when he was young, and he didn't want to do it. And so we got to talk about how it's so much better to be doing what the Lord calls you to do than what you want to do. And so we were there to minister to those two people. And uh, all around, you see, if you keep your eyes and your heart open to the Lord, 
you will see that he has divine appointments for you where he has been preparing someone to a certain point for contact with you. And what I want more than anything else is for none of you to miss those divine appointments that you face every day. I remember being, uh, uh, I'd been told that a, a lady that attended our church in the woodlands was dying in the hospital. And I went there and they told me she'd already slipped into a coma. And so I decided I would just sit there with her for a little bit. And all of a sudden, and I decided I was just going to pray for her. So I went over to, to pray for her. And all of a sudden, she opened her eyes. And she said, who are you? I said, well, I'm one of the ministers from your church. And I heard you were ill. And I just wanted to come and be with you for a while and pray for you. And uh, I said, is it okay if I pray for you? And she kind of hesitated. said, yeah. And then something prompted me to ask her. Many times I thought, okay, she's going to get better. I'll wait till she's better to ask her this. But I went ahead and said, before we pray, let me ask you this. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? And she looked at me kind of funny and said, yeah. I said, well, that's wonderful. Let's pray. And so I prayed for her. And then I went back over and she kind of slipped back into a coma again. As I was sitting there, and then she woke up and she said something. I couldn't understand what it was. So I stepped on over and said, I'm so sorry. I couldn't understand what you said. And she said, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. And so I led this lady in the sinner's prayer. And she received Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And she slipped back into a coma and never came out again. I am so glad that I listened to the Spirit's prompting because I have a sister in heaven now that I wouldn't have otherwise. There was a minister I heard about this past week that uh, had a couple move in above him that was just the wrong kind of people. They were young. They were not married. They played loud music in the evening, but they were so nice and so sweet and so happy. But the music just got to him, and so he went up and he banged on their door and told them they needed to keep that music down. And uh, they wound up getting into a verbal altercation, and uh, he went downstairs, and then the next night, there was no music. The next night, there was no music. The next night, there was no music. He began to feel bad and needed to go see what was going on and kind of make amends with these people. He realized he'd been too harsh. So he went up the next day to speak to them and the place was being cleaned out and there was a cleaning lady there. He said, well, what happened to that young couple? It was his, oh, you didn't hear? About four nights ago, they were involved in a horrible accident and they both died. Now then, that just killed this minister because you see, he had a divine appointment with that couple. He could have treated them with the love of Jesus instead of in his own ugliness. And because of his own ugliness, and his own self-centeredness, 
he missed God's moment for him. And he has not been able to get over that since. I want to encourage every one of you, keep your hearts open toward God every day, all day. He has those divine appointments for you. You may not even realize it at the time as you strike up the conversation, but the Lord has those moments for you. You see, that's the way God works. He's working like that all the time. But how many of us miss him at work and allowing him to work through you? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.